Well, um, what we're going to do is talk about leadership. This is uh, the third installment over the last three years of Ironworks, where we've talked about leadership, and um, we've, we've this will make this the, the most talked about topic <laughs> uh, that we've camped out on. And, and um, there's, a, there's a bit of a method to my madness um, of why uh, I think it's important for us, you know, to, to talk about leadership. And um, it's fun doing Ironworks because, you know, as we go verse by verse through the Bible on Wednesdays and Sundays, man, all these topic comes up. But uh, one of the great things about the Bible is we see all these great men who were leaders in the scriptures. Um, and, uh, and then there are some guys that are not so great <laughs> uh, of examples of leaders. Um, question, and who's the first guy in the room who can tell me who this guy is in the Bible? His name, Lapidoth. Anybody? Lapidoth. Who was Lapidoth in the Bible? Don't have any idea? Nick's like, <laughs> don't have a clue. Okay, up in the game, I've got a $100 gift card to Cabela's right here for the first guy that could tell me who Lapidoth is. What? Yeah, you can Google. <laughs> but you got, oh, who's got it? Deborah's husband. Come on down. Let's give this guy a round of applause. Here, we'll, we'll frisbee it. Here we go. Ready? Oh, wow. <laughs> That was a good catch. Wow. That's some quick reaction right there. That's good. Good job. All right. Nice. Pays to read your Bible. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it pays to Google. No. Did you, did you Google it? No, nope, that came out of the recesses of his mind, which is awesome. I love that. Um, <clears throat> let's turn to Judges chapter <clears throat> 4. One of the most unknown guys in the Bible. <clears throat> you know, here's, here's, you know, five, six hundred guys here, and one guy knew who Lapidoth was. He was the husband of Deborah, um, which means he's pretty insignificant. <laughs> he, was, he was the guy that nobody knows about, nobody cares about, um, and, uh, and yet he, his wife was amazing. Well, Brett, well, how do you, how do you, you know, what's wrong with poor Lapidoth? I mean, just because his wife was amazing. Well, here's the thing. We, we're living in a culture that I'm concerned, and it has to do with the pendulum swing of opinion, of worldview, of culture. And, um, and the pendulum's been swinging kind of back and forth, but, but it's also kind of a mess right now. And it has to do with male leadership, male roles in our society. And, um, and you guys are seeing it. Um, you know, if you're a white male, privileged, People hate you today. Like, 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 it's okay to hate a white privileged male. Um, that's just kind of the culture we live in, and, and man, you hear it all the time. Now, I always kind of think, I deserve whatever I get. You know, um, people can say whatever they want about me, and they probably don't even know how bad it really is. Um, Brett, you're a nerd. You don't even know the worst of it. Well, I think you're a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I, like, I really do feel that way. When I get pulled over by a police officer, I'm like, oh, man, you don't even know how bad I deserve this ticket, man. Bring it on. I, I, I deserve, you don't even know how long I've been driving that fast. Um, um, like, I, like I, I just, I, I've, I've kind of learned that I just kind of deserve everything I get. So I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I, I think that there's probably truth in that for sure. But, but here's the thing. Um, what happens with especially men, and I'm, I don't think it's because of cowardice as much, as it has to do with um, indifference. 
And, and what that means is, is um, when people say, oh, in the 60s and 70s, you know, I can bring home the bacon, put it in the pan. What's she sing about? The Anjole woman. Remember, if you're old enough, you remember that dumb commercial that my mom used to cover my eyes because she was wearing some slinky little dress saying, I can, you know, earn the living and then come home and cook the food and, and, and never let you forget you're a man. And, and the women's lib movement where the woman could do everything and, and, and it went from, from uh, the culture. Do you guys remember like when I was a little kid, all the TV commercials were the crazy woman with curlers incessantly cleaning her oven. And she was always kind of this homely busybody just trying to get her oven clean. And, and they sort of made women look dumb back in those days. And then the, the feminists said, that's wacko. We need to change that. So the pendulum is swung. So then you had the Anjali woman who's suddenly beautiful and smart and amazing. But then what happened culturally is they started making the men look like a bunch of dupes. Uh, in the commercials. And that just kind of tells us about, you know, the culture that we live in and kind of the, the swinging of this pendulum. And the thing that's interesting is the dumb man that they've portrayed, it, it's gotten even worse, really. It's not swinging the other way as much. It just keeps swinging out here to where now we have a culture that Beaver Cleaver's dad, well, he was, he was you know, a, a misogynistic, uh, you know, chauvinist, uh, making the poor beaver's mom stay home and do the dishes while he went to work every day. And that's the example of what not to be in our culture. And, and then it went to um, sort of the, the, the man that um, uh, was just kind of a goofball and could barely, you know, put an intelligent sentence together. And that's kind of the culture. And then, and then what happened, as, as that started to kind of wind down, now in our culture we're seeing the Me Too movement and we're seeing um, just the depravity of humanity, and everybody's shocked that men have treated women badly over the years. Um, it's an amazing dichotomy when you see Hollywood celebrates sexual impropriety, and yet they're all stunned that Hollywood people treat women badly. It, it, like, it's just such an amazing thing to watch culture swing back and forth. But see, here's the thing that happens, that if we're not careful, we men are like, yeah, whatever. Think whatever you want. Um, kind of like my attitude, if I get a, pol a police officer pull me over, yeah, you're right, give me the ticket, I'll pay it, I deserve it. Um, but, but not actually fixing the problem, <laughs> you know, that I was actually breaking the law. Um, see, that's the thing. I, I think the problem is with men today is we see the Me Too movement and, and a real hatred for men and, and even, you know, putting men down and, and uh, women are wanting to, you know, have equal pay and equal this, and, and yet at the same time, did you guys see, what, what was it, Amazon or Google, one of the two, where um, they, you know, they were being accused of um, men making so much more than women. And uh, like a week ago it came out, they actually did a big study, and they found out that actually it was the opposite. The women of that corporation, they were making more than the men. Everybody was stunned. It was like, wow, we didn't, we didn't even know that was happening. But it, you know, the pendulum swings, and, 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 uh, and pretty soon you find yourself in kind of this strange place and so men today are, are being perceived as sort of a real problem. But if we all just back off and say, well, we are the problem and, and women are more amazing than we are, which in a lot of ways I really believe that. Um, that's one of the things I have to say is, you know, what I'm about to talk about, some, some people will misconstrue, and I don't spend a lot of time apologizing for people that are going to misconstrue what I'm trying to say. But um, the truth is, I, I think men and women are both amazing. God created us in his image. And, uh, and let's just get that on the table right now. God uses women, God uses men in different roles, and it's all good. Um, and, and humanity makes it sinful, wicked, and bad. 
But see, Israel, in Judges chapter 4, I think they're in an interesting place that really reminds me of where we are culturally. And that is, you know, Israel has a history by this time in Judges chapter 4 of great men that were leaders um, in history. You know, Moses is just one example. We could talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We could talk about other leaders. But, you know, Moses leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua uh, takes, uh, takes it from there. And, man, Joshua becomes a great, a truly great leader. I love it because when he first starts out in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord has to tell him three times, be strong and good courage. You know, don't be afraid. Um, and then the people even said the fourth time, Joshua will follow you. Like God says, only be thou strong and very courageous. You know, and, and Joshua, after Joshua chapter one, he steps up to the plate and he leads and he does it in such a way that is so amazing that he actually becomes this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, our leader. If you look at the Old Testament stories, we could talk about that, uh, but I don't want to get off on that tangent. But Joshua is this amazing leader in the Bible. And then, you know, you got the Caleb's, the guys that, you know, went into the lands of, land of the Anakims, the giants. At 80 years old, he said, man, I'm going to take those, that, that region where the Anakims, those giants are. Like, they're great men, great leaders. But by the time Judges chapter 4 rolls around, for whatever reason, they find, Israel finds themselves in this great crisis. And, and really, it's a crisis of male leadership. The men just, for whatever reason, are not stepping up. And they're all hiding behind the skirts of the women. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, you wonder, how did they get there? Especially in Bible times, you know, we, we see it happening because of modern technology and, uh, you know, um, all the news and all the advertising and social media. We see, you know, how the narrative gets sort of shifted. But how did it happen in those days? We don't really know. But for whatever reason, during the time of Deborah, the men were just total, well, let's read. Josh, uh, pardon me, Judges chapter 4, uh, verse 1. We'll, we'll start here, and we're going to end actually in uh, Peter uh, in just a minute here. But <clears throat> Judges chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. Uh, remember, he's the guy that stabbed the super fat Eglon guy with the sword and dirt came out. Remember that story? Um, that was the last, you know, judge of Israel that was like legit. But by that, by this time, he's dead and gone. And where, where are all the men? <clears throat> well, verse two, it says, the Lord to uh, sold them into the hand of um, Jabin, the king of Canaan, that reigned in Hatzor, the captain of whose host <clears throat> was Sisera, which dwelt in Hasharet, of the Gentiles. Um, I've been to Hatzor, and it's a beautiful place. That's where I would want to be, but it, it seems that the Canaanites who were largely wiped out by Joshua, because of the lack of leadership here, the Canaanites are coming back, and they're coming back in a strong way. They were supposed to wipe out the Canaanites, but by the time Judges 4 rolls around, the, the Canaanites are starting to raise their ugly head again under the leadership of Jabin and his captain, Sisera. Um, and, uh, and man, they're, they're oppressing the people. That's the idea, sold them into the hand. The idea is they were subservient to uh, these Canaanites. And so verse three, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord for he had 900 chariots of iron and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Man, 20 years, that's a long time. Verse four, and Deborah, 
a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. There he is. I could have got you a Cabela's card had you known that. <laughs> the, the, the Lapidoth, um, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up for her judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoham, of uh, Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto them, uh, to, to him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee 10,000 of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? Um, so interesting stuff going on here. And, and again, when you go to Israel with us in November, we see all these places. We're going to drive by Hatzor. It's not a stop a lot of people go to because there's too many places to see. But we will drive by Mount Tabor. Um, the Jews pronounce it Tavor. The, the B is often a V. Um, and Tavor uh, uh, is, for you uh, gun people, uh, you know, the Tavor is one of Israelis' uh, coolest rifles that their IDF uses. It's a short little bullpup rifle that's uh, kind of really famous now as being an amazing Israeli weapon. They named it after this story, uh, after this mountain, Mount Tavor, which is kind of interesting for you Bible guys, uh, gun guys. <laughs> that was a freebie for you. Uh, but anyways, verse 7, And I will draw unto thee the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. Now, this is where you kind of get the sense of the painful condition of the men in Israel. And Barak, verse 8, said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Brett, you're reading into it. Nope, that's what he sounded like. I'm sure of it. <laughs> no, maybe I am reading into that. I don't know. But, but here's this wimpy dude. Here's Deborah hanging out under her palm tree that everybody goes, hey, if you want to talk to the leader of Israel, go talk to that, that woman that's sitting under the palm tree. So there's Deborah just sitting there. Well, she sends for Barak and, and says, Barak, man, it's time to go. The Lord's going to gather Sisera's army and he's going to give you a great victory. And he's like, well, I'm not going unless you're going. He's hiding behind the skirts of Deborah. And that's what makes this story kind of famous um, because of, you know, Barak's wimpiness, but Deborah's great leadership. Let me just say this, by the way, guys, when the men don't step up in the right role of leadership, in the Bible, you see God raise up a woman who will do the job. Um, kind of an interesting thing you see uh, not only in Israel's history, but I've seen that even in modern times. I remember going in, onto an island in uh, Vanuatu called Pentecost. Um, it's, it's only, you know, hiking trails over a volcano in the South Pacific, this little jungle region down there. And I went to this one village, and there was, there was this beautiful little Christian village um, where a bunch of Christian people were, and they had this little church built on the cliff over the ocean there. Um, I mean, these are people like with bones in their noses and spears and stuff. Like, it was like National Geographic material. But the little church was thriving, and... Um, and as I was kind of getting to know the people there, I realized that the senior pastor was a woman. And I thought, well, that's interesting because, you know, um, if you've been around Athey Creek, we take the Bible literally. And when the Bible says that, that the men are to lead the church, women are not to teach or usurp authority over men in the church, we take that literally. Call me prehistoric, antiquated, whatever you want. It's not that I think women are less than or, or whatever than men. I just read the Bible and the Bible says this is what we're supposed to do. And it's just that simple. 
So as I went to that little town, I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder why this woman is the pastor. They must not really believe that section of scripture. That was kind of what I was thinking, because that's what I get here at, at locally from all the, you know, churches and pastors and stuff, you know, that, uh, well, it's just that was for then or, or whatever. Um, by the way, um, there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it says that women are not to teach or usurp authority over the man, um, the big argument locally in churches that I hear is, well, that was for that culture at that time of Paul. But do you remember, question, why did God say to, through t- uh, Paul to Timothy, there was a reason he gave that the woman should not usurp authority and leadership in the church? Do you remember the reason why? Because Eve was deceived in the garden first, not the man. See, the reason that's important is because that supersedes any culture, doesn't it? Because we're going back from that time thousands of years. Or did the culture stay the same in the Garden of Eden all the way to Paul? No, I would argue that culture was very different in the Garden of Eden when that happened. Uh, And yet God says, because that happened, this is the way I want it for millennia to come. That's the funny thing. You can, you, it takes away the cultural or the local argument totally, and yet people just say, no, 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 that's not for today. That's just people wanting to do their thing and blowing off the Bible. That's just the truth. Um, I was yelled at by a couple of George Fox uh, professors who came to a Wednesday night Bible study, and they said, we noticed you don't have any women pastors, and, and you had a man leading worship in church, and men doing this, and they, they got really, they were shaking, they were so mad. And I, and I just turned them to, you know, uh, Timothy there, First uh, Timothy 2, and just said, here's what the Bible says. And, you know, you guys have to tell me, you know, what, what am I missing here? Culture, culture. And I showed them the part of Genesis, and they just stomped off angrily. And it's heartbreaking because that's, that's the culture we live in today. And churches, by the way, are falling for this one hook, line, and sinker. Um, well, Brett, I just think you're a misogynistic chauvinist. That's what people do when they don't have a good argument. They just start calling you names. That's, that's, our, that's the way it happens today. Um, so, so back to my little island church. Um, the funniest thing was I was thinking, well, these, these people must just not believe that section of Scripture. But as I was just meeting everybody, the, the pastor, this woman, she pulled me aside and she said, she said, Pastor Brett, I have to tell you. Um, and she explained, I would not be the pastor here. Like, she was embarrassed. Um, she said, I... I know that I'm not supposed to be usurping authority over the man. I know that men should be the pastor, but I cannot find a man on this island who will lead this church. And I would, she said, I would readily hang it up, you know, and, and uh, just come alongside of and stand behind whoever, any man on this island who would take this. Like she was apologetic. Like here's this island lady who, you know, I, I was just kind of blown away that she had such insight. And I said, listen, as long as there's not a man, you just keep preaching and teaching and doing what the Bible says. You're like the, the, the Deborah in the Bible. Uh, when there weren't men stepping up, you got to step up. You're doing it right. I, I was able to commend her in that. Uh, really, really cool. And, and I thought that it was great that the Lord was blessing her ministry. And I, was, I, I prayed uh, that men would raise, uh, be raised up in that, in that church. Um, but that was, the, that was the thing there. That's the thing here in Deborah's time. And it's also a real problem today in the church. I'll go if you go. I wonder how many men say to their wives on a Sunday morning, well, honey, if you want to go to church, I guess I'll go if you go. As the guy's being dragged around by his hair. (laughs) What's that? Which one was it? Was it John Wesley? His wife dragged, or it was one of the Wesley, uh, his wife dragged him around by the hair. That's why he was teaching all the time. He was never home um, uh, because his wife was not very nice. But, But I digress. 
Um, so Barak says, I'll go if you go. Verse 9. So she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to, uh, to Kadesh and went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, which was of the children of, of uh, Hobab, um, uh, it says the father-in-law of Moses had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent in the plain of Zeanim, uh, which is by Kedesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Herochet to the, uh, the gen- of the Gentiles to the river of Kishon. Now here's, here's, here's the, the thing I want you to see probably maybe the most. And Deborah said unto Barak, up. <laughs> uh, I've got the word up highlighted in my Bible. Um, here's this woman saying, get up. Like that's what she's telling him, up, Barak. <laughs> it's almost like he's the dog, up, you know. Um, man, for this is the day which the Lord hath delivered sister into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? Do you sense that Deborah's just a little frustrated with Barak? Isn't this the day that the Lord, like, up, get up. I wonder how many of our wives would say that about us. Come on, guys, get up. Do family devotions. Lead our family. Up. Be plugged in to church. Up. Be going to Bible studies and making yourself accountable to other brothers. Up. Like, I wonder how many of our wives, you know, are um, perhaps a little bit like Deborah, wondering when we're going to step up to the plate. Hope this doesn't apply to any, I'm sure it doesn't apply to any of you guys. Um, so, uh, well, up, get up. So Barak went up down from uh, Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him, and the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Now, let's, we got to read the rest of the story because it's so great. Um, uh, but Barak pursued after the chariots and after uh, the host unto Hasharet of the Gentiles, and all the host of Sisera fell on the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael. I call her Jael the Nail. You'll see why. So this woman named Jael, the wife of Heber, um, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hatzor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in into her tent, she covered him with a mantle or blanket. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened up a bottle of milk <laughs> and gave him drink and covered him. Now, they didn't have, you know, the KitchenAid fridge back in those days. So basically, give me some water. And she gives him some warm goat milk. Delicious. And again, verse 20, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come inquire, say, Is there any man here? Uh, that thou shalt say, No. <laughs> uh, apparently there isn't a real man there. <clears throat> but anyway, verse 21, Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail in his temples and fastened it into the ground. For he was fast asleep. 
and weary, so he died. That's one of the funniest lines in the Bible right there. What did she do? She drove a nail through his head into the ground, so he died. Verse 22, and behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when she, he, uh, he came into her in the tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. <clears throat> so God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin and the king of Canaan <clears throat> until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. The Canaanites who were supposed to be driven out of the land, the Canaanites, who were supposed to be long gone by this time, raised their ugly heads, and it was largely due to, there was just not men that were able to lead the children of Israel. It took a woman who was brave enough to say, man, let's go, get up, go and fight. The Lord has given these guys into our hand. So the Canaanites, you know, we see that as sort of an Old Testament picture, don't we? Um, you know, we have to understand a lot of people and some of the old hymns that we sing talk about the, the promised land being heaven. You know, when we cross the river Jordan, going into the promised land, that's heaven. And that's a great notion, and I love the idea, but it's technically not true as far as the typology of the Bible. Question, why is the, the promised land, um, when you cross the Jordan, not a type of us entering into heaven? There's still battles to be fought. There's giants in the land. There's the Canaanites still. You see, I believe, if you're interested, uh, um, that the, the typology there, when they cross the Jordan River, um, is, it's perhaps a type of, you know, where God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus was baptized right where they crossed the Jordan River. Did you know that? Um, right in that same region, on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, Jesus was baptized in the country of Jordan, modern day. Did you know that? Um, it's not in the Israel where everybody thinks it was. Um, but right where they crossed in that same region, that's where Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him. His ministry began. The water um, of the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of types we could talk about. But it was there as they crossed the river, the, the, the battles began. But God gave them powerful, great victory in that land. The Canaanites... You know, that's, that's the, the stuff that we read about in Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood like these guys, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We talked about this, I believe, when was that? Uh, Wednesday night, I think, or last Sunday. Um, we were talking about spiritual warfare and how it's very real. Uh, but we don't fight against physical people. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's one of the big things with this um, in... Uh, in New Zealand, this big shooting that took place there in the Muslim uh, church, um, that just, just a horrific situation. And people are debating, you know, should, you know, this, this guy basically, it's amazing how they try to attribute certain groups the blame and stuff for these things. But, um, but you know, the idea of a holy war between, you know, the Christians versus the Muslims um, is such a ridiculous thing uh, because we are not called to raise arms against you know, uh, Muslims or anything like that. That's so ridiculous. Um, it's a spiritual battle. These are, it's, a, um, it's a war between um, a false god, Allah, and the true and living God. And guess who's going to win? Um, the true and living God. So it's, it's an amazing thing how people get all up in a tizzy and stuff. It's a horrible thing that happened. Um, but but we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not what? 
carnal or you know physical weapons, but we are given to the spiritual weapons of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've got prayer. You know, we've got, um, you know, so much we can do and, and put on the armor of God uh, that's spiritual for the tearing down of strongholds. That, that's what we're all about, by the way. And I hope that's important. You know, I mentioned the Tavor gun and some of you guys are like, I tell you what, Brett, guns and God and stuff. Um, uh, you know, I love shooting just as much as the next guy, but <clears throat> man, I hope none of us or none of you guys are kind of like, yeah, man, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, you know, shoot people up and stuff. You, you hear people talk like that sort of sometimes. And, and um, is that the love of Christ? Well, Brett, if things get really bad and they come from my store of food in my house, well, what are you gonna do? Um, somebody's starving and they knock on your door as a Christian, boom, gonna guard my Cheerios. Um, no. You're supposed to give that. You're supposed to love people. And <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing. There's, there's, there's kind of a mentality that's kind of goofy out there. But, um, but, but all that to say, um, I'm definitely not a pacifist or anything like that. But I also think there's, there's kind of this funny thing that masculinity has to somehow include shooting guns and stuff like that. That's not really the thing. What we need is to watch out for the the Barak scenario, the Lapidoth scenario, where, where are the men in the story? Uh, and, and what did they need to do? They, this woman had to say, get up and go, come on, you know? And, and, and eventually the women, God used the women to subdue these Canaanites and give them great victory. But here's the thing, man. I, I think that we're living in a day that's so dangerous because men are cowering away um, from roles of leader, leadership, lest they be misconstrued as overbearing, misogynistic, chauvinistic, or whatever the name calling that's going on in the, any given day, that we men, uh, and, and it's not just out in the, in, in the public, it's in the church itself. Um, there's a lot of churches now that are being run by women because the men are just saying, yeah, whatever. They have this sort of passive attitude about leadership, about stepping up and being the godly man that God's called us to be. Now, here's the problem. One of the reasons feminism started, one of the reasons the Me Too movement has taken off is there are a bunch of horrible men that have lived on this planet throughout history. Men have behaved horribly. Um, you know, these, these Me Too guys and Bill Cosby and all these people, man, these, these guys, they've deserved everything they, they get. And, and, um, and the Me Too movement is, is, is right in that sense that, man, if men are behaving that way, that's horrific. But at the same time, does that mean that we should just cower back and say, yeah, men are just bad in general. And uh, let's just kind of back, let's hide in the closet because, well, we're men. And so we're not going to be leading. We're just going to kind of let the ladies do what they're going to do and just step back. Well, that's not really what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in the church especially, we need men to step up and lead. Who cares what culture is saying? Who cares what, you know, the, the CNN and Wolf Blitzer think? Who cares what even, you know, some of the churches are teaching if it's con contrary to the word of God? We've got to say, what does the Bible teach? Now, now here's where I'm going to try to springboard into something. Um, because... Um, I'm really, first of all, thankful to be a part of a church where um, men are guys who love Jesus and are willing to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And, 
You know, um, I, I think it's an important thing that, I, you know, I don't want to be a part of a church that lacks male leadership. And I'm so thankful that we have uh, those men. But here's what's really cool. We live in a, in a you know, greater Portland area where we're kind of at the epicenter of a lot of this stuff that we're seeing going on culturally. And yet here, kind of in the middle of the Portland area, not in the middle, but you know, out, out in the Portland area, all my friends that are pastors in like Oklahoma, which is not the Bible Belt, that's the belt buckle. Oklahoma City, man, man, I love Oklahoma City. Whenever I've gone there, it's like the people are just all, they're all Christians. You go to the gas station, it's not, are you a Christian? It's what, what denomination are you part of? Like, and and the, all the stores close down on Sundays. And it's like, it's like a whole different world over there. And you, and you definitely are in friendly territory. Here in this area, if you're a Christian who loves Jesus, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the God bless America Christian, I'm talking about the person who's a Bible-believing Christian, man, we're in a little hostile territory up here. But meanwhile, we've got this church who we're willing to kind of say, no, forget what everybody else is saying, we need to have men lead the church. And even though that's really unpopular right now, isn't it interesting that Athey Creek continues to grow exponentially. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of funny, the irony of it all, because um, we should be failing, technically, uh, if you just look at the math of it all. But here's, you know, one of the biggest churches in Oregon now is, is one that's saying, we're going to take the Bible literally, and, and we're going to go verse by verse, even through Leviticus and Numbers and some of the scriptures that aren't so easy. We're going to just keep plowing through. And isn't it something that God has said, I'm going to bless that. And I, I believe he's blessed this fellowship by his grace. We didn't deserve it. It's not because of the genius pastor, quite the opposite. In spite of the goofball pastor and his team, we're all just a bunch of men stumbling through all this stuff. But here's what I wanna say. The Lord will use the man that steps up. Even if it's Barack who, who Deborah's saying, up! And so he gets up and gets a great victory. Um, the Lord will use a guy if he's just willing to step up and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead. You see, my story, I'm so glad that for some reason I didn't have the sense to be embarrassed or worried about what people thought when I was a younger man. Um, I stepped up into leadership, and I'll just tell you why. Because I, I just grew up with men that were leaders. Like, I didn't know anything else. I really didn't. Um, it would be much, much later in life I would realize a lot of guys grew up with um, with a bunch of spiritual, and I, I don't know how else to say this, spiritual sissies. A lot of guys grew up with that. They, what's a spiritual sissy? Well, he's the guy that, you know, the family goes off to church, the mom gets the kids ready, and the guy's like, oh, I'm watching football. Uh, you guys go to church, and he goes to church at Christmas and Easter because that's sort of the right thing to do. That's what I call a spiritual sissy. And a lot of guys grew up with that, where the mom was sort of the spearhead of the Christian thing, but dad was the guy who had the dirt bikes and the quads and the four-wheel drives and the guns. So which one's the fun one? Church? Quads. And so there's all these guys, I realized they were growing up spiritual sissies. I didn't have that. Now, now don't get me wrong, we shot guns on the farm when I was a kid growing up, and uh, you know we rode dirt bikes and all that stuff. But see, the, the men that I got to grow up, and I didn't realize how blessed I was, but these were guys that say, yeah, whatever on that stuff, that's all fun, and every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. We enjoyed fun stuff. But when it came to church, that was a non-negotiable. And it wasn't my mom cracking the whip. It was my dad saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Um, I had pastors and elders and deacons that I grew up, these are the men I just grew up with. They were all around me. So by the time I was at the ripe old age of 12, all I wanted to do is be a leader in the church. I wanted to be like all those guys. And I worked hard at saying, how can I be more like my dad or my pastor or the elders in this church? And there were enough elders around me where I really didn't know anything else. So by the time I was 17, they hired me to be the children's pastor. By the time I was 18, I was, they moved me from children's pastor to director of youth, college through the babies of a church of over 2,000 people. At 17 and 18. By the time I was 19, I was not only an elder in the church, but I was marrying and burying people. I, I was licensed and ordained by 19 to do weddings. I remember doing premarital counseling when I was 19 year old. I wouldn't be married for another two years. <laughs> Brad, how could you do that? How could you be a premarital counselor before you're even married? It's, it's really easy. It's because the word of God, it's not about the counselor. I was able as a young kid say, well, here's what the Bible says about marriage. And, and I can say it with authority because I was experienced. No, because the word of God is living and powerful. And as a 19 year old kid, I didn't, I didn't know that there was anything weird about that. Nobody told me, I didn't get the memo. You're 19, nobody's gonna listen to you. But you know what's funny? Is um, just, just a few Sundays ago, one of those couples that I did their premarital counseling when I was 19, this is you know like 33 years ago. They came up to me at church, said, man, you were one of the, our first weddings. Um, and uh, they explained the wedding, and I totally remembered the wedding. It was the one that I've told stories about. It was the, I think it was the very first wedding I actually did. And it was one where I did, um, I, I did this wedding where when I got there, everybody was screaming at each other because the couple had been previously married, or one of them had been married and got divorced. And so half the group was screaming, they're committing adultery by getting married. The other half's like, no, God forgives sin. And, and there was this huge argument. And I said, as a 19-year-old kid, I had to come in there and time out. Um, if anybody uh, you know, has a problem with this marriage, not speak now or forever, hold your peace. Get out. That's, that's what I told them at 19. I said, just get out. And Because I, I knew this couple and I knew where they were at. But anyway, they come up to me at church and said, hey, Brett, you know, that, that, you know, after that wedding, you know, you met with us a few times. And, and I, I was thinking, man, I didn't know what I was talking about. They said, yeah, but you know, what you shared with us, we still use to this day as part of our marriage plan and, you know, the, the premarital stuff or post, with them, I did mostly postmarital counseling, like just because they didn't get it the first before. Um, and, and I realized, you know, that was just me, some goofy kid who didn't know any better that I got, that I'd just step up and start doing a leadership role in church. Now here's another thing that's kind of tricky about this, um, this thing is, is um, guys are into stepping up in different areas and it's all good, I, I have to be careful here, but I've realized that when I grew up, there was kind of this notion that, that the church was the pinnacle of what you could actually do. In other words, to be a part of the church, to be a leader in the church, that was totally where it was at. Being a football coach was not. Oh, it was great. I actually coached football for a little while, a junior high uh, team. I was an assistant coach. And it was great and fun, but that wasn't like my main goal. You know, I've been a FCA leader. I was a huddle coach for Wilson High School. I worked with Campus Life, which is kind of a similar thing to Young Life, but in Southern Oregon, that's what they had. I've worked with all kinds of parachurch organizations and I've done missions trips and stuff. 
but, but you have to understand, I grew up realizing that God cares about his church more than anything else uh, as far as church organizations and missions and stuff. See, there's this different mentality today, I've noticed, and that is, who cares about the church? Brett, that's your job. You're the church, but I'm going to do ministry and I'm going to do other stuff and uh, good for you and the church, but I'm going to kind of, I see what I'm doing is just as important. And, and I got to tell you, that's just not the case. God recognizes three institutions in the Bible, the family, government, and the church. And, and, and it's funny how it's, it's like there's this mentality, especially with men today, says, ah, the church, uh, you know, organized religion, whatever. But biblically speaking, God wants to work in and through his church. That's the, that's, that's the greatest thing you, you can do. If, if you're a part of leadership in church, if you're linked and plugged into your church, um, there's, there's this thing that's happened somewhere along the way, and maybe it's because churches have behaved badly, just like men have behaved badly. So people throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, men are all bad because there's a few that have acted horribly. Just like churches are all bad and organized religion's all bad, just because we've had some bad behaviors in churches. What I, what I would hope is that men at Athey Creek realize, yeah, we can work with Young Life. We can coach volleyball and basketball and soccer and do all these other great things. But the church is where it's at. The church of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the thing God says, this is my bride. This is what I wanna use to be lights in this dark world. And, and there's this weird priority that gets kind of switched around in our thinking. And, and here's why I, I, I get a little concerned is sometimes I see some of our best guys that should be perhaps really leading here at Athey, they're just busy doing a lot of other good things. And that's, that's good, I'm not knocking them and maybe that's what they're called to do. But I'm, I'm praying for a new generation of young guys. And when I say young, if you're 30 or less, I'm praying for a new generation of young guys that'll say, we realize that, man, here's God working at Athey Creek in a very hostile environment. And, God, and we're seeing tons of people getting saved every Sunday. We had more than like 30 to 40 people getting baptized in 42 degree water a couple weeks ago. Like that's a big deal. People getting baptized and people getting saved, lives being changed. Man, we could be a part of that. And, and see, I, I feel like we've kind of gotten into this place where, oh, yeah, that's Brett, that's your job. You're, you've got your team. And it's sort of an us and them. But man, I would love for all of you guys to say, it's not us and them. This is our church. Athey Creek is where we attend. Now, if you don't like me, I understand. If you don't like Athey Creek, totally get it. Find a church where you can say, I'm gonna plug in and be a radical part of that ministry team and really, because that's what God cares about. He cares about his church. Um, I, I'm concerned, guys, that, man, there's a lot of men that are just kind of not really valuing what I got to value. I, I got to value the role of an elder and a deacon and a volunteer. I got to value that at a very young age. And, and because of that, I think the Lord is really blessed, really blessed a lot of things that, that in spite of myself. So let's go, to, let's go to Peter real quick. Boy, I can't believe it. I meant to spend that five-minute intro right there. Um, First Peter chapter five, uh, five is, is where I'd like to take you because um, this, is, this is what I want you guys to be thinking about. I mean, that is, um, 
We just signed on a bunch of, uh, a, a large group of, of new elders here at Athey Creek, and I'm really excited about that. Um, and these are great men. Uh, I'm so pumped to have a new bunch of dudes uh, that are solid brothers. Um, but here's the thing. Athey Creek's growing, Athey Creek's expanding. Um, and I just feel like because we're growing and expanding, I need, I need men who will step up and say, we're gonna lead, whether it's in a role of deacon or elder or pastor, or you know, with, with the multi-site thing we're going to, with the campus over in Sherwood, the campus in Salem, man, there's all kinds of opportunities. We need pastors, we need, we need campus pastors, we need elders and deacons and, and Sunday school guys and, and, and men that will lead the church. And, and as we're growing, there's all this opportunity now. We need worship leaders, right? You already have, look at your band, man. You got like four or five different groups every Sunday that lead and it's awesome every time. Man, we need about three or four times that many musicians. We really do. I, I worry about some of you musicians, like, oh, Athey's got it covered a bunch of musicians up there. If you ask all of our musicians, they'll say, man, let us know what you play. Uh, and, and honestly, if you're talented enough, we'll use you. If not, take a hike. No, they won't say that. Um, if not, uh, there's other areas where you can be used, whether it's in children's ministry or, or helping with home groups leading worship, or there's all kinds of things to do. Um, and, and, but, but man, if you're kind of backing off as a musician, don't. We, we, we want to see that grow. And and, uh, and we want to see you grow. And leadership roles, man, that, that's the thing. So here in 1 Peter, it's one of the things that people forget about. If, if you think of an elder in the Bible and his description of what he's supposed to be, what scripture do you think of? Anybody? Huh? Titus, Titus has some stuff. Yep. What else? Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3 gives this radical description, which I did a whole thing on that, by the way, uh, in one of our previous Ironworks. But let me go to the lesser known description of an elder that Peter gives us, which is kind of cool in contrast to what Paul gives us as far as an elder role in the church. And the reason this is important is because, you're, some of you are saying, I'm not gonna be an elder. But I think that the elder, is, that's what I got to watch. See, the word elder is synonymous technically, biblically with pastor, elder, bishop. Bishop speaks of the overseeing guy. Episkopos is the Greek word there. The guy that, I've got a team of episcopuses. I don't call them bishops because the Catholic Church sort of made bishops into sort of a weird thing. Um, plus it's a piece of a game called chess. I, I, I've kind of lost the bishop thing, but, but we still have bishops technically. They're episcopos and we call them governing elders because the word elder does uh, ascribe to these guys. But pastor, which is the feeder of the flock, elder, bishop, these are the leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. What I would argue is that all of you, whether you're an elder or not, all of you can move in the role of an elder. How do I find elders? How does our leadership team find elders at Eighth Creek? We find the guys who are already elding without the title. We, we see the guys that are not just blitzing right after the service, but they're looking around and they're sensitive. And they're saying, there's a person sitting over there that looks kind of sad. I'm gonna go talk to them. And man, if the Lord opens opportunity, I'll share a scripture with them and, and say a prayer for them without anybody even asking. They're just doing that stuff. They're the guys that, that start a Bible study, uh, you know, in, in, in Hillsboro, uh, near where they live or where they work on Friday mornings and get two other guys and just get in the word and start teaching through Daniel and studying the scriptures. That's elder material. If I see a dude that's doing that stuff, 
oftentimes it comes back and I realize, wow, this guy's already doing the work of ministry and it's pretty cool. That's how elders become elders at Athey Creek. Um, you're already doing it. And by the way, whenever the Lord wanted to find a leader in the Bible, he would look where the sheep were and who was shepherding them. You know, we could do a whole study on how Moses was out tending the sheep when he was called to ministry. David was out tending his sheep when he was called to be the king of Israel, feeding the flock, tending the sheep already before they were ever a king or a ruler or a leader. So what does Peter have to say? Let's, let's break this down. It says here in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Um, boy, we could, we could talk about what Peter saw with his own eyes. You know, as an older man now, Peter's talking about, I was there when Jesus died on the cross. I was there when he was transfigured. That's what he means here about the glory shall be revealed. I was a partaker of that. When? Matthew 17, when Peter saw with Peter, James, and John, Jesus transfigured. So Peter's kind of saying, I'm an elder in the church, and I kind of know what I'm talking about because I was there with Jesus when all this went down. Verse two, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not by somebody twisting your arm, is the idea there, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, which is not necessarily a staff position. A lot of guys all work in the church as long as I have a staff position. Um, are staff positions biblical? The answer is yes, because the scriptures talk about how Peter, uh, pardon me, Paul was paid at, for seasons of ministry and then he wasn't other seasons. And then the Bible talks about the, you know, the workman that uh, treads out the corn, you know, and, and that he's, he should get his portion, you know. Um, but so there's, there is a place for church staff, but this is Peter saying, not doing this for money, um, but willingly, voluntarily is the idea, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, uh, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So there's, there's a few things here, man, um, tempting. There's so much here that I want to dive into, but I'm going to have to resist. Um, you know, some guys say, Brett, um, you're just, you're making a mistake in that saying it's, it's all about Athey Creek and, and you're putting out down parachurch organizations, which I'm not. Parachurch are outside of the church, governed by outside entities. That's why they're called parachurch organizations. Nothing wrong with them. Often the parachurch organizations are doing stuff because the church drops the ball somewhere, whether it's missions or youth ministry or whatever. Um, there's groups that have come up because the church just wasn't cutting the mustard, honestly. 
But that's where I say, let's make the church do the job well, whether it's missions or youth ministry. Let's, let's do it the church. Well, Brett, we're all the church. And whether it's Young Life or FCA, who, by the way, we, we support financially. Like, we're into these groups. Um, but, but let me just tell you, those that say, well, the FCA people, they're, they're the church. No, they're not, because the church is made up of elders, pastors, deacons, um, and, and that leadership structure that de- is defined in the New Testament. So whenever there's a thing with elders, pastors, deacons, then that's part of the church. That, that's what you have to understand. So, so my, my hope is that, that whether you're with FCA or Young Life or at Athey Creek, that one of the greatest things you could ever endeavor to do is to surface to that role of leadership in the church. Um, whether it's by title or by just voluntary ministry, doing the work of an elder. And there's several things I wanna just point out here. Number one, if you're jotting down notes, four things. There's more here that we could tackle. I'm just gonna do four. Number one, notice here there was a willingness to lead. The Lord is looking for men who are willing to lead, not by twisting of the arm, by constraint, verse two, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The idea is a willingness. You know, um, here's a question to ask yourself, and I'm not trying to lay a heavy guilt trip on, on y'all, but what would Athey Creek look like if everyone looked just like you? If every man at Athey Creek looked just like you, what would Athey Creek? And uh, um, I can answer for myself, it'd be a horror show. Um, but, but, but what, what's funny to me, for me, uh, I, I'm glad there's, there's not a ton of me around here, but, but here's the thing, the Lord uses the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise, and I was dumb enough to be willing. I never knew better than people think I'm a weirdo. I never knew that you weren't supposed to uh, just walk up to somebody and say, hey, I've got a scripture I wanna share with you. Nobody ever told me that was a strange behavior. So I just did it because that's what I grew up with. But some of you grew up with a real passive sort of thing where you're not only really sharing scriptures with people, you don't even really read your Bible. What would Athey Creek look like if, if every guy in the church was just like you? And, and the reason I ask that question is because that's sort of the goal is to say, how can I be a contributor um, willingly to what God is doing in and through his church? Now that might just look like a guy who comes and you're recharged every Sunday, every Wednesday, where you really don't do anything at this building. But, but the reason you're being recharged here is because you're going to your job and you're doing some street level ministry right there. Man, when you go back to Intel in that sea of cubicles and that world of political correctness and you're, you come from Athey Creek after having gone through the scriptures with us, and, and the Lord is saying, I'm gonna use this man because he's being recharged at Athey. That's a win. I, I, I wish that every man would sort of say, yeah, I'm gonna come, and I'm not necessarily gonna be a contributor here at the campus, but I'm gonna let the church be my plug-in, and then I'm gonna go out into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Like, that'd be great. Others of you, some of you say, well, man, maybe I need to contribute to children's ministry or help out in the parking lot and start off on kind of that sort of level where, uh, man, I, I, I can do it. It's something I can do. But a willingness to do it, that's, that's what first has to happen. During the time of Deborah, there was no willingness. She had to like basically drag Barak into battle. 
Man, may that not be true of us as men. What would Athey Creek look like if everybody was just like you? Hmm, interesting thing. Willingness to lead. Number two, humility to lead. Humility to lead. This is where I think the church has gotten bad uh, grades and why people blow off the church and say, we're not into the church or organized religion. Because there was usually sinful pride and people that got in the way. We can get into the way really bad. I love, you know, the, the model of leadership seen in the perfect leader, Jesus Christ. Did Jesus go around as the big shot, telling everybody what to do, whipping everybody into shape? No. I love how Jesus, man, what greater example when he, there in the Gospel of John, stripped himself of his clothes, wrapped himself in a towel, and started washing the disciples' feet. You know, we could shut the mouths of the misogynistic, uh, chauvinistic, male-privileged, blah, 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 if we would just, as men, just be humble and be servants. That's what God's called us to be, to do stuff that might seem to be beneath us. Um, that's one of the problems, I think, with men is, is, you know, and the reason why people say male privilege is because we're not willing to lift a finger to do the hard stuff. We see that in so many ways. Uh, in the workforce, there, there, there's, there's this lack of willingness to get the job done. And, uh, and it's amazing. The, you know, there's certain people that you hire, you're kind of like, well, these people are going to get it done. You hire another, these people are not. And, and this, this idea of just getting down there and getting it done. I wonder if leadership in your home, brothers, as an elder in your own home, pastor in your own home, I wonder if it would look best if instead of you just bossing everybody around, what would happen if you got up from the table, and this is going to be hard, it's, it's going to be a shocker to some of you, you got up from the table and went and just did the dishes all by yourself. I know, blasphemy, you're saying, but, but wouldn't that be something? There's some of you that have never done the dishes in your house ever, or cleaned the toilet. Like, what would happen if we just said, I'm going to do like Jesus, and I'm going to strip myself of my you know, the, the clothing sort of speaks of your authority and, and sort of your status. Jesus stripped himself of that, wrapped himself in a towel, and washed the stinking disciples' feet. Like, it doesn't get much more low. That was the job of the lowest servant of all. And yet Jesus, who's God, came and did that. And he said, do this. You know, some churches do foot washing services, and I think that's really cool and, and stuff. But I'm not so sure it was meant to be an ordinance as much as it was meant to be a commandment. Like, you've seen me become a servant and wash feet. I want you to do the same stuff like that, to be a servant and to get in there and do stuff that maybe you, you might think you're too good to do. That's one of the things that an elder will do, is, is be humble to lead. Look at, look at verse uh, 3. Neither being lords over God's heritage but being examples to the flock. Look at verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him. See, there's a humility built into eldership, to leadership that God is asking of you and me. We need to be willing to get dirty, get, get into the, the, the brutal stuff, um, and, and, uh, and, and to make sure that we're doing it right. Um, so humility, uh, humble to lead, um, Acts 20, 19, Paul the Apostle, he said this, you know, when, when he was describing to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, listen, 
He said, we serve the Lord with all humility of mind. Humility. Uh, Man, this is a huge one. Um, You might ask yourself, when was the last time I really humbled myself in the area of leadership and did stuff that might seem to be sort of, and I don't even mean to say it this way, but I can't think of a better way, beneath me. What, What are the things that I'm willing to do that are beneath me? Just look for that. Jesus did it. Paul did it, serving the Lord with humility. Many people often have been humbled, and yet few have, um, have not become humble. You know, you and I get humbled when we're embarrassed. What happens if you humble yourself without being embarrassed or humbled by something? What if you just humble yourself? That's what leadership really looks like. That's where maybe this male privilege and church leadership that's hated by women because men are so dominant um, you know, it's interesting how uh, with that servant attitude, that's what we want to have at Athey Creek. People come and say, Brett, you tell us what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. Well, kind of not really. I'll tell you what the Bible says, and then it's up to you to do what, you're, what you know to be right. I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. Um, you know, the scriptures talk about how, you know, Paul says, um, we're, we're going to be helpers of men's joy, but we're not going to seek to have dominion over your faith. There are churches that try to control people. That's not Athey Creek. I'm not trying to control anybody. I'll tell you what the truth is. I'll tell you what the Bible says. Nobody's going to hunt you down and check you twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. That's Santa Claus. I don't do that. I know I look like Santa, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's between you and God. You gotta, you're accountable to God. I'm going to share with you what the truth is, but my goal is not to have dominion over people's faith or control anybody, but to be humble to serve the Lord with all humility. That's what you and I are all called to do. Um, So this idea of humble, willingness to lead, humility to lead. Number three, able to lead. If you're gonna lead, you and I, we need ability. I like verse five there where it says, um, it says, Oh, maybe it's not verse five. Oh, verse two, end of verse two. It says there, um, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. There's, there's a readiness of mind that, that the elder has that I've, I was noticing here. You know, and there's a couple ways that you're able to, by preparation, readiness of mind. You see, you can't go and share a scripture with somebody if there's no scripture in your mind. Um, how many of you guys that have done morning devotions in the word and you're wondering, man, I don't know how that applies to anything. And then that very day, something happens where you're talking to somebody. Like, you know what? I was just reading in the scripture this morning that verse that talks about this and that, and it totally applies to your life. How many of you have seen that, where you're reading in the morning the Bible, and then that scripture comes to mind in the day somehow? That's readiness of mind. You're ready because you've been in the scripture. If you're not in the scripture, you're not ready to lead. You're ready to just kind of, there's some Bible verse out there called, uh, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Nope, it's not in the Bible. It's funny how guys misquote the Bible. Our, our presidents, are, by the way, are the worst. Whenever a president quotes the Bible, I'm like, oh, no, that's the Koran, buddy. It's wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong textbook there. Uh, first bag of balonians, you know. <laughs> Happens all the time. But if you're a man who's in the Word, man, you're ready to lead. If you've got Scripture, if you've got Scripture in your heart, preparation, readiness, but also able to lead by example. And here's another thing that's so huge. Leadership by example. Um, it's verse three. 
the second part of verse three, neither being lords over God's church, but being examples to the flock. That's leadership. It's not a, a, you know, it's not a push, people. It's a pull by you being a leader, being an example of a leader, being a man of prayer, being in the word, being a guy of peace and joy and love, being a guy that's kind and compassionate. Um, that's, that's leading by example. That's where you get the authority. People marveled when they saw Jesus's leadership, not because he was, you know, powerful. It's because they marveled at his gracious words. And when he spoke, he spoke as one having authority, not like the other scribes, the Pharisees. Those guys tried to puff themselves up and look like big shot leaders. Jesus just led by humility. In fact, Jesus said, the only autobiographical statement Jesus made, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus didn't puff himself up. He just was weighty. He just was humble and compassionate kind. Man, I love how leading by example sure makes it a real deal. Too many guys try to take on a role of leadership by making themselves look bigger and better and puffier or whatever. But that's not the way to do it. You, you need to be able to lead by preparation, readiness of mind, but also example, being examples to the flock. One more, need for you to lead. So number one, a willingness to lead, Number two, humility to lead. Number three, able to lead. But number four, the need for you to lead. Even as in Deborah and Barak and Lapidoth's day, there in Judges 4, there was a huge need. The Canaanites were getting stronger. The Canaanites are a picture of the world and worldliness rising up its ugly head in their culture of land flowing with milk and honey that was for them. It was gonna wreck the whole thing. There was a need for leadership. And I can't stress it enough today, brothers, that you and I are living in a day, I believe we're living in the last days. Man, things are just dark. The Canaanites are raising their ugly head. There's all kinds of evil and wickedness, and, and, and as long as the men in the church just sit back passively, say, yeah, good sermon, Pastor Brett, yesterday, last Sunday. But man, if there's guys saying it's time to step up and share the scriptures and be ready to minister and lead someone to Christ and share the gospel message and, and to lead our families and our marriages and our homes in a humility with, with that godly leadership. Man, we're living a day right now, there's such a need. I would say the need is worse than the day of Deborah where men need to step up, lead their families, lead the church, lead their marriages, lead in ministry. An old story, a railroad agent in India had been reprimanded for making decisions without orders from headquarters. One day, a superior received the following startling telegram, tiger on platform eating conductor, wire instructions. <laughs> I love that because um, I get a little bit of that from time to time. It's almost like uh, from, from my point of view as a pastor, people are like, well, Brett, just tell us what we're supposed to do. As soon as you give us instructions, then we'll do whatever leadership you need. And I understand, and that's a nice heart, and that's a good heart, and, and sometimes that'll, that'll help and work out. But you know what I need right now? Because uh, we got a church of thousands of brothers. Um, and, and I've got a, a good team of great guys that are helping me and leading, but what I need is self-starters. 
What I need are, are, are men like yourselves to say, I'm not gonna wait for Pastor Brett to tell me what to do. I'm not gonna just sit around and kind of, well, as soon as they tell me when I'm gonna be an elder, or, no. What I need uh, from all of us in the days we're living, and I, and I say it doesn't matter what I need as much. I think what, what the Lord is trying to tell us here in his word is he wants <clears throat> us as brothers to <clears throat> be, be these four things, willing to lead, able and humble to lead, and, 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 and understand the need for leadership. We are living in a culture where your families need it, your marriages need it, the church needs it desperately. Because Canaan's rising and suddenly there's Sisras and Baraks out there that um, are going to be doing battle. The question is, are you up for the fight? What does that look like for you? You got to pray about that. Is it starting a Bible study? Is it just willingly hanging out around this building longer between services, just looking, who, who, who can I help encourage? Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's as simple as just sticking around and helping straighten chairs after a service. Maybe that's the way you, you start. Um, but, but right now, there's so many people in the church that are busy doing stuff. wonder what the Lord might have for you. Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Seek the Lord, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be opened. Um, this is a promise of what the Lord wants to, wants to do in you guys. Those of you that are already doing it, if you're saying, Brett, I'm already doing it, Good keep it up. But if you, if you see room in your schedule, room in your life to maybe say, it's time for me to step up and lead, um, man, I would pray blessing on you guys. And do it. Just do it. There's a theme. Just do it. Let's pray. Lord, we are challenged in your word all the time. And Lord, we live in a day where we see, we see all kinds of messaging of what's right and what's wrong, and people doing that which is right in their own sight. Lord, to have a biblical worldview is very unpopular. To, uh, to stand on your word, Lord, is even often considered crazy. But I pray, Lord, that these men in this room, that we would be, Lord, men that would step up, even as Deborah said to Barack, up. Lord, I pray that we would be up about your business looking for every opportunity to serve you, to, to share the good news about you. Lord, to, to be busy about the kingdom. Lord, we get so into our hobbies and our things that are so fun and good, nothing wrong, Lord, but, but we, need, we need to see the things that are really important, just even leading our homes in family devotions, reading the scriptures with our wives and loving them as you loved us. Lord, being humble and compassionate, but at the same time having a, that balance of strength and stability. Help us, Lord. Help each of my brothers in this room to know exactly what it is that you want them to do with their time, their energies, and their efforts. efforts. Lord, inspire them. Give them vision. I pray that they would hear the vision, write it down, and then, and then just do it. Do what you've called them to do. May it not be by our own might, by our own power, but by your spirit would you work through my brothers, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together.